Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam. hey We don't tend to talk about other X-Men podcasts on this show. Just uh, for respect. I mean, generally, no. We try and, you know, unless they're on our show. I want to I start out with saying that I am a fan of the podcast Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. Part of the reason why we are doing this podcast to begin with is how I've met a lot of people. I think they were the forerunners in making people think about X-Men better and more. Yeah, still are. And still still a great show. Uh, Mazel to Jay on the baby. And I say this to say they have a running bit about how they don't think Shinobi Shaw knows what sex is. <laughs> yes. And I think that bit's funny. I don't think that bit has any relationship to canon, but I do think it's a very funny bit. So that's the one time we're going to reference the fact that Shinobi Shaw in not knowing what sex is so that everyone who's making their own jokes at home, get them out now. And we're going <laughs> to we're going to go through the rest of the episode, assuming Shinobi Shaw knows how to with I, all respect to Jay and Miles. That is I, I don't know if I agree with anything you just said. I mean, yeah, uh, Ad, you heard it here first. Adam doesn't think Jay and Miles were an influential podcast on the X-Men community. I, I meant about Shinobi Shaw. Um, as we will see in this episode, he is a total moron. Um, oh, no one's saying that Shinobi Shaw is <laughs> not dumb. I'm not sure he knows where certain things are on his own body. So um, I feel like Shinobi Shaw <laughs> has a if Shinobi Shaw knows anything, Shinobi Shaw has a very strong understanding of his own personal anatomy. He knows how to take a nice bath. Shinobi Shaw loves, <laughs> loves to exfoliate. <laughs> he sure does. So if you didn't catch on, folks, this episode is all about Sebastian Shaw's uh, progeny. Or maybe not, right? Wasn't that called? It's not. It, he's Harry Leland's kid. They were having to. That's right. Uh, just sometimes sometimes something who's to, who's to say <laughs> sebastian's just like well listen you're my crappy kid harry harry doesn't get dibs on you you're mine now <laughs> uh so this whole episode is about the wonderful and uh, eccentric shinobi shaw and uh so hard to come up with comics that shinobi shaw is in he's not actually in that many so um, we we did our normal homework and we found some, uh, I think, some interesting stuff. So who do we have to thank for this unique request? Well, here's the thing, Adam. We have someone to thank and they're not the man they think they are at home. Oh, no, no. They're a mullet man. <laughs> a mullet man burning up his fuse here. I really wish he'd sung that like in full Elton John. I can't. I can't <laughs> do it. Mullet, mullet man. man. Burning up his views of hell. No, see, there you go. Just, Sir Elton's Zach, that was way good. outside of my range. So, Rocket Man aside, I mean Mullet Man aside, if you want to be like <laughs> Mullet Man, have Elton John write a song in the seventies that we can make make things about your name with, or you know, Patreon.com/slash/ComicsXF. Give us five dollars, just five dollars, people. Do you know how much a comic book these days costs? It costs about five dollars. 
Yeah. And it takes uh, longer to listen to one of our episodes than it does to read one. Um, in fact, not- you could probably read three comics in the time that you're listening to these episodes. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to say, though. Obviously, it takes way more time and effort to make a comic book than it does to do our show. Um, That's a dirty lie. That is a dirty lie. Is it? it takes no time. Adam, I will draw a comic book at a professional <laughs> level during this entire podcast. Watch. Can't, can't wait to see it, Zach. I'm not. Um, I don't. I actually, I don't have my notebook near me. You know, one might talk. say it's so easy, Zach, to do a comic book. It's child's play. <laughs> there like we go. Segue. We you circled back around and we got it going. That's right. The first story we're talking about is the crossover between Marvel's X Force and New Warriors. It is child's play, written by Fabian Ciesa. Uh, with pencils by Tony Daniel on the X-Force stuff, Derek Robinson and Brandon McKinney on the New Warriors. Adam, are you a New Warriors guy? You were around in the 90s. No, I certainly am not. And, um, you know, every once in a while I'm tempted just because there are the obvious X-Force Hellions stuff going on that are, you know, part of this particular story. And then I actually read an issue of New Warriors and uh, Fabes. But Adam, they're the heroes for the 90s. The new warriors. It sure is very nineties and I can appreciate that. However, I don't um, even know what their catchphrase is. I know they have have a catchphrase. New warriors absolutely have a catchphrase. Is it like we're new at war? What? No, (laughs) it's something up. Who? Something up. Yeah. It's like new, new war, new up, up. (laughs) new, new Coke. (laughs) Pepsi. Heads up seven up. Crystal Pepsi. Um, Man, the new Warriors fans among us are so mad. Uh, gosh. Well, folks, I will say, and I said this to Zach before we started recording, that um, if this arc highlights, this crossover highlights anything, it is that, yes, I love what Fabes does with X-Force, and I could care less about what these new Warriors characters are up to. Because for me, and I realized that I, I want to talk a little bit about the difference in art styles between these two books. But gee, gosh, golly, man, I, I do not care about these, these new warriors characters. And, uh, you don't care about justice. No, no, I do not. Vance Astrovic, a guy who constantly talks about how he has it harder than anyone else when he's sitting around with X-Force and you're like, well, hold on. Yes, Vance, you did kill your dad with your mutant powers and you went to prison. That is sad. You know Thunderbird over here had his entire tribe murdered. And Siren over here is a teenage alcoholic. Like, we all have our struggles, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good look. So, um... Even on your team, like, I gotta imagine that, like, Rage, the, the young child with a body of a large man, is going through some stuff that maybe you're not. I would, I would assume so. Uh, so. I can accept Firestar being on the X-Men. If Justice joined the X-Men, I would quit in protest. Is Justice a mutant? Justice is a mutant, baby. Oh, okay. I don't you know. didn't know that? Dude, I don't know, yeah. I know what his powers are. I don't care. Um, he's, a, he's a telekinetic guy. Actually, okay. Adam, you do know Marvel Boy is his name for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who Vance Astro is, right? Like, does he come by somebody important later or what? Okay. I mean, listen, important. That is a, uh, 
That's a subjective term. <laughs> it's a subjective term. He's Vance Astro. He's Major Victory from the Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, the oh, original Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, from yeah, yeah, yeah. 3006 AD. Nice. How did he get there? Or did he come back? Which, which so, comes first? Something, he goes there after being in suspended animation like a Captain America. Oh. And that's why he has a Captain America shield. Cool. Okay, well, good good for Vance Astro. I'm proud of him. I still Listen, don't care. Listen, as with most characters, way better as an adult than a crappy teen. <laughs> well, uh, the crappy teens that I love over in X-Force. I do love those teens. They suck. They are great. And uh, unfortunately for them and for the new warriors, this four-issue crossover is all about the upstarts. You remember the upstarts. Are you talking about the upstarts and their young hunt? Yes. The uh, unfortunately titled young hunt. Like, do we need to send child protective services to the, upstarts all I'm saying, a... all I'm saying, Adam, <laughs> is if Tipper Gore read this comic, Stop. she would have some concerns. <laughs> uh, I have this some is, concerns because I have, upstarts, I have concerns. Can, upstarts cannot figure out a couple things. One. They cannot really figure out what the the prize is for any of their games that the games master is running. And two, they can't even figure out who's even in the upstarts because all of a sudden we've got Fenris running around and competing as part of this. So, Which is weird because Fenris, they're like, yeah, you're not in the upstarts. And I'm like, hold on. I read those Omega Red issues. Yeah, they were already in them. They were, they, were, in- they were absolutely like, if not, I don't know if they were technically prospective members in that, but they were they are actively participating at the same level as Sienna Blaze is. Yes. Uh, so our roster at this point is Graydon Creed, uh, Shinobi Shaw. Trevor sort, Fitzroy. Sort of Fenris. Yeah, Fitzroy, um, Sienna Blaze, and who did I miss? Did I miss anybody? You're talking, you're, you're missing the Games Master. I'm the Games Master, of course. Who's, well, and and uh, Trevor Fitzroy's weird little dude that hangs oh, out right. with him. Uh, Bant- Bantam? Bantam, yes, Bantam. like the rooster. I was like, it's yeah. not Gamecock. I know that's wrong, but it's some sort of bird. So Child's Play begins with um, Fenris trying to take out both Magma and Empath down in Nova. Guess which one they succeed in taking out. <laughs> it's the worst new mutant. Yeah, they, they do take out Magma. And I believe this story suggests that they kill the remaining sur- mind wiped survivors of Nova Roma. Yeah, we're not that lucky. No, but it, it's we are never that lucky to have Nova Roma be extinct. Yeah. Cannonball and Boom Boom are abducted by Sienna Blaze. And now we've got X-Force, you know, on the hunt. On the young hunt. Moonstar also appears and is part of this story. So we're no, one, really... no one trusts her, but it's fine. Yes, everyone knows she's Danielle Moonstar, but even when confronted with it directly, she's kind of like, yeah, that's a mystery for another time. It's like, like, no, no, no. You're using your last name, Danny. Yeah, you're. We're your friends. Just take off the Spider-Man mask, please. And Danny, (laughs) come on. You're in a you're in a new mutants crossover right now. What are you doing? Pretending, girl. Yeah, it's very, very strange. Um, So our our kidnapped heroes are kind of just, you know, in this, I don't know, sort of floaty space with a giant holographic telepathic projection of Games Master for a couple days in their bathing suits. I don't care about Games Master. Can we? No, 
No. Does but, this even explain his deal? Because it really doesn't. He's just some weird dude. No, it really who doesn't. knows everything. Yeah, he puts all of the kidnapped uh, characters into kind of like little suspension pods, but they're really again for as much as the upstarts appear. We never know what they're up to. We never really understand what the goal is. We don't even know what the game is. It doesn't make any you sense. You feel like Bob Harris would have just like been like, hey, Jim, Wills. Yeah. Okay, great. Love the designs. Very toyetic. So cool. What's what's their deal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, it doesn't have to be good. You just need to tell me what their deal is. Yeah. In case you go form a new company right away. <laughs> just tell me what their deal is, Jimmy. Yeah, it's like the externals. We, we just kind of have to figure it out as we go along. So along the way. Okay, um, but that one, Fabian, Fabian was there the whole time. Yes. He he was holding Rob's hand. He was writing the words in the balloons. That one, that one's squarely on Fabian's shoulders. <laughs> he did okay. Uh, uh, did he? Did he or did he write the externals, which are just the worst every time they show up? I don't know. They he had Capolos, so, you know, there, there was something fun happening there. Anyway, so, uh, you know, at a, at a certain point after fighting uh, Fitzroy, they figure out how Bantam's powers work in terms of his teleporting, and they just throw him into Sebastian Shaw's bathtub. And eventually they figure out how to actually go and attack the upstarts and the game's master. The art in between New Warriors and X-Force is drastically different. X-Force is drawn by Tony Daniels. Um, the new warriors issues are significantly not as well drawn. Um, who's the artist got, on these? Uh, it's Derek Robertson's the main one. Yeah. And you know, they're fine, but it's, it's very much just kind of, kind of here's the thing. X-Force has the best artist that X-Force could hire for this. Yep. Mm-hmm. And new warriors has the best artist that new warriors could hire for this. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, I I guess in concept, Silhouette and Night Thrasher are cool. And I like Speedball, like, again, conceptually. <laughs> conceptually. I mean, he spends a huge part of one issue just complaining about why he doesn't have a new costume. Um, and then one appears. Just very funny. Does take up way too much page space. <laughs> Um, like Dick Ryder Nova is good, but he doesn't get good for another 20 years. No, no, man. It's just like, I've got nothing for the new warriors. I don't know why they're here. Well, I think they're here because Fabes is making an honest attempt to follow up on, you know, new mutants, Hellions as a group of characters and how the intersect. It's also just, you know, a, a blatant grab for eyeballs on new warriors. I think, you know, he's following up on one hellion character. He's like, man, what's Firestar been up to? And they already did a check in on that. They sure they did. just did like six months beforehand. Yeah. And that's a much better issue. So all that issue is actually bad too. It's, I didn't say it was great, but it, you know, that's, that's when Fabian's like, actually, this is no Roma's deal. And we're like, uh, is it? So this is a whole, bunch of nonsense really um we do get a little x factor cameo at one point and they call rain yeah they do call what rain, we so what we haven't talked about is the breakout star of child's play oh that is Paige is? guthrie oh that's right we really should because it's a confusing introduction to this character and what she can do uh yeah at first she's talking to animals that doesn't come up 
it it sort of suggests she's a shapeshifter, right? Like she kind of suggests she right? Like yeah, she, but... you take on the form of a sparrow or something like that. And it's only later that we start to get the rip 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 of the husk of the husking. Yes. Yeah. Paige Paige secretly follows them to Games Master and then she does a trick with Games Master. And she does like a logic puzzle to him, but her logic is bad. She's like, actually, if you really were were trying to eliminate the next generation of mutant kind, wouldn't you want to train them and see if you could train them better or see how other people train them? And he's like, I never thought about it that way. And I'm like, yeah, Games Master, because that's a dumb way to think about your evil plan. <laughs> it's so stupid because it, it the story just ends. You know, she she throws this uh, theoretical scenario out at the games master and says, now that would be one heck of a game, wouldn't you? And games master's like, Paige, you win. It's got that's the it's end of got, the story. It's got big. Who has a better story than Bron the Broken <laughs> vibes to it? It's like, oh, you had to get to this ending and you had no idea how. So you're going to have somebody say something that sounds impressive. But when you sec think about it for five seconds it's not good and this doesn't even have the doesn't even have the dignity of having sansa stark then yell yeah but his don't work we can't say on this podcast dang it i don't think we're allowed to say on this podcast we can say whatever we want Uh, i don't know what the rules are there are no rules i can always put a blurb at the beginning no rules just right we could just like have gone 290 episodes without and then the last 10 just get uh, just i mean i'm <laughs> telling you what get that get that tipper sticker on there because this this episode's explicit <laughs> yeah so the, the the thing just ends they drop fenris off with x factor and that's it man you know there's there's not much happening here so i did not love this uh if it's not clear i don't think it's it's like half of an okay x-force story and then the the new warrior stuff just does not work Um, it doesn't land i don't care about the new warriors and i know that's a me problem and i know there's people who are like actually new warriors is one of the pinnacles of 90s comics and really showing the range that fabian nicieza has and i'm like y'all this is a 70 some issue series i'm not reading it yeah it makes me very uninterested to go back so why don't we try and rank this on our big old list zach do we have to yeah we do because um we we have a giant list and that's what we do on this show right 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 sorry i forgot what the bit was yeah uh we have a giant list where we have slowly but surely been ranking every x-men story from best to worst over years uh we have 744 stories on this list could you believe it adam i can't could you believe how many stories we have added to this ding dang list uh, it's lot. not 744 yes it is huh. okay it's 744 anyway the best story of x-men history is house of x powers of 10 uh it's x factor one through six the longest night at number 100 that dracula one at number 200 uh the black blade wolverine at 300 we have not um broken 300 in a spell hmm I'm just saying, maybe we've read the 300 good X-Men stories and we're down <laughs> to the bad ones for the rest of the podcast. Let's, let's see what happens. Every episode's a new adventure, Zach. It's a new adventure. Number 400 is that bar issue of Wolverine Volume 3 where uh, where the beer bottle looks like Wolverine's. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, number 500 is Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire. Number 600 is Wolverine Bad Rock. Wolverine Heavy at the hundreds right now. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Superhero Special 6 through 8. The bizarre Roy Thomas Outback era story is at 700. In 744, you know it's the Draco. So. Child's play bad. I have down at 603, I have highlighted um, Brood Feud 2. Better Not or Not as good as Brood Feud 2. Okay, so we know Brood we're Feud in Brood Feud 2 is a comic that isn't hurting anybody. <laughs> I I would argue this is better than the Nova Roma arc of New Mutants at 611. Sounds good as Pride and Wisdom at 610, though. Like, it's right there. Yeah. All right, well, let's put it there. Yeah, you found it. It's our new 611. It's Child's Play. Perfect. So um, you'll notice that even though this is a Shinobi Shaw episode, he's not really in Child's Play that much, even though he is an integral player in the game of the upstarts. So he's both the main upstart and woefully unimportant to the main upstart story. Yeah. Um, however, he does have a bathtub close up. So good for him. Jeez, that's <laughs> all he's got going for him. So our next story is much more of a Shinobi Shaw uh, centric story. Probably the most Shinobi will get this this week. What is it, Zach? Uh, we are talking about X-Men annual number three. This is from X-Men un- an untitled adjective list. It's uh, by Ian Edgerton with Gene Ha on those pencils. A ton of inkers on this one. They were rushing it out. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about the art for a second because I think Please I've been do. critical of Gene's work before. Um, you know, I think I spoke very negatively about it when we talked about um, the the adventures of, of Cyclops and Phoenix. And I like to think I chastised you for that. You sure did. But here, um, you know, what it, I immediately thought of was in terms of, of the way it's drawn is it bears a striking resemblance to some of the classic X-Men John Bolton stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fair. I think that despite the story being kind of thin, the art really elevates it to a certain extent. So, so kudos. He, here's what's weird about this. It starts with all of the X-Men second guessing storm. Mm. Including professor X. It's the most paternalistic. Like professor X has been in a spell. It's very strange. It's weird and bad. And they're like, Storm, because Storm gets a letter from Shinobi Shaw saying she should come to the Hellfire Club to do a thing. Yes, this is right some, after some poisoned roses. This is right after that one random issue where Psylocke and Archangel go on a date in the Hellfire Club, and they're like, and they said, yeah, Shinobi Shaw was up to some shenanigans, and all of the X Men are like, Storm, we think Shinobi Shaw might be up to some shenanigans. Are you sure you want to do this? And they're talking to the most competent woman in the world. <laughs> right they're talking to aurora monroe historically good at everything yes the uh, if the words mary sue could be applied to anyone i'm kidding i love i love roro the uh x-men questioning her are in in this order uh bishop bishop who's obsessed with how cool storm is uh archangel and archangel who okay fine if he's gonna be paternalistic but complete dumb dumb and hank mccoy and everybody is kind of like this is what's weird about this issue um on top of them all questioning him uh questioning storm she comes downstairs in kind of like a a black leather dress with knee-high boots and um some gloves that go up above her uh her elbows and everybody's like "Ooh, cool new look storm 
never did this before. And I'm like, guys, wait, what? <laughs> like, no, she definitely has done this before. This is in fact a callback. <laughs> we, We're doing a callback. Yeah, we've all mm, what are we talking about? To be fair, none here? of them, none of them were around for any of that. No, I know, it's true, but um, you know, when when Storm tells off Professor X before she leaves, and it's basically like, I, I'm an adult and I'm leaving. Can you please just just shut up. <laughs> he's she like, walks out and Bishop is conveniently on his motorcycle. And I do like that. Bishop does not question storm. He's like, you Hey, did it, you child. Did, I found you, you, Son did of a- you did it again. You confused Gambit and Bishop storm walks out. Storm- <laughs> I'm leaving this in. Yes. I storm walks out and finds Gambit. Shut up, Adam. I'm so mad about this. <laughs> finds Gambit sitting there on a motorcycle. Gambit, who first met Storm as the world's most competent child and was like, oh, yeah, oh, she's an adult now? Great. I bet she's better at things. And he's like, oh, Storm, I'm going into town. Would you like a ride, my good friend? And she's like, absolutely. And they ride, yeah. off, they ride off to the Hellfire Club. See, and he's like, that okay, rings true. I'm going to go do Thieves. I always love when Gambit and Storm are just basically like, oh, yeah. Remember how we used to like go on adventures together and we're we're actually best friends. I love that. Remember how I kind of abducted a child a little bit <laughs> like it wasn't. A, I did just find this kid and immediately have her commit felonies. Yeah. Um. So Storm is, uh, I guess, like Shinobi seems to be trying to seduce her into coming on to or joining forces with him to rule the world. But the, 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 it's not a great plan on Shinobi's part. It's well, because really... Shinobi Shaw is thinking about how he was in, or that he's the Black King of the Hellfire Club. And he doesn't really have a whole Hellfire Club around him because Emma Frost got Fitzroyd. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry Leland got Nimrodded. Donald Pierce is off being a weirdo. Uh, and he killed his dad. He dropped his dad out of a helicopter. So he needs to do inner circle. So who does he get at him? Well, uh, he has Benedict Kine, Benazir Cower, and Reva Page. Adam, which of these characters do you think is the main antagonist of Fox's The Gifted Season 2? <laughs> Isn't it Benedict? No, it's Reva Page. Oh, okay. She is the main antagonist of the gifted season two. Oh, I never, I never watched season two. Don't That's... worry. I haven't finished it either. Can I tell you in this comic book, the entirety of Reva Fage's dialogue? Sure. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, and they characters... did a 22 episode TV series about her. Yeah. So essentially it's admitted that the flowers poisoned her, uh, poisoned storm gave her like, you know, uh, hallucinations. Yeah. Like it's going to make her suggestive to joining sides with them and, and storm, you know, and storm fashion fights back. Um, and she doesn't need the rest of the X-Men to come protect her, even though they show up to, you know, try and help her. And they, you know, the, I guess Bishop Gambit, uh, does Warren, is Warren here for this part or is it just Bishop and Gambit? Anyway, they, they fight these new hellfire goons and um, then everybody just goes home after Storm threatens uh, Shinobi and is like, hey, you know, you picked the wrong uh, woman to mess with. Storm's so cool. That's yeah. the thing. As much as I don't think this is a good issue of comics, 
Ian Edgerton is doing an important thing and something that was not done enough in the 90s. And that was remind people how cool Storm is. Yeah. We are just now, just now within the last like year, year, year and a half, getting to a world where X-Men comics are mostly about how cool Storm is. It is X-Men a huge Red, part of X-Men Red. X-Men Red is 90%. Hey, look at this cool thing Storm did this week. Isn't she great? And it's it's not even it's not even a level. Look at this cool feat that we can add to battle boards. It's just like, look how cool Storm is as a character. Isn't she the best? <laughs> love how much Al Ewing loves her. Yeah. Uh finally. Ian Edgerton does justice. also love her. Appreciate that. Yeah, there is Edgington, also excuse me. a very weird and poorly, well, I don't know if I want to say poorly, but I don't really you like can say the, poorly. I don't like the art style of the Banshee backup story in this. Um, however, it did make me long for annuals with backup stories and multiple awesome pinups as appear in this particular issue. So uh, pinups, great Banshee story, buck wild. Don't know what it's doing here. Jim Kruger is... <sighs> Man, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't do it. it doesn't look good and it's very strange in the context of like where we're at in terms of generation X on the horizon. So um anyway, let's 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 try and write this. Um this is definitely probably one of the the biggest showcases for Shinobi that exists in publishing, I think. Man, it sucks that like Shinobi Shaw doesn't have good comics then. Because <laughs> not all of them are great. Like this is not I'm I am just searching for the word annual on our list. 204 is Web of Spider-Man annual number two with that Art Adams art and the mm-hmm. Anasanti writing mm-hmm. and the Warlock Godzilla. Not That's as good better. as that. New Mutants annual number one's at 216. Not as good as that. Uncanny X-Men annual 18. That's the one where it's a Bish and Jube story with Sabretooth and Caliban. Yeah, that one's not as good as that. Yeah. The 2019 Uncanny X-Men annual. That's the what 20. That's the one where Cyclops comes back. Yep. Mm-hmm. That one's better. Um, the 2007 X-Men annual. That is the one where it's in the Mike Carey run and Exodus is like, I think they're hiding mutants from us. We're getting there. We're getting closer. Um, okay. The 95 X-Men annual is at 388. Um, that is, oh, that's the one. This is, the, okay. I found our, I found our floor. Because this is better than the 95 annual. That's the one where Cannonball's racist sister uh, oh, joins a cult. Yes. We're between yes. those two annuals. Um, yeah, I think we're better than that. So we're in the 300s here. Better or worse than Schism at 380. Better than Schism. Better than Schism. Okay. I like the art better as a whole. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go up to, let's see. 350 is Nation X. Better or worse than Nation X. That's a good one. It is... We're in the right spot. We are. I don't think it's as good as Nation X. Okay. I, I think Nation X has a lot of good ideas, even if it's a little long. But, like, I think this is better than New Mutants Truth or Death at 353. Yeah, I would agree with that. I... Is this better or worse than Wolverine and the X-Men 37 to 39? That's the uh, the two kids that infiltrate. Yeah. The, with, with some the Pepe school for... in there. Um, yeah. yeah, I think this is better than that. Is this better than Excel? I think, at I, think, I think the X Factor Investigations Excel arc is probably better than this, which would make it our new 352. Perfect. All right. So 
Shinobi Shaw doesn't doesn't get in a bathtub this time. No, um, he does. I think start the issue off in a bathrobe, though, right? He does. That's that's it's close. That's his uniform. He's just playing it's just it's like here's here's the thing about Shinobi Shaw. You know how they have like model sheets for all the characters. His just happens to be him in a bathrobe <laughs> or under some bubbles. He doesn't have a costume, does he? Not really. That rules. Yeah, he just wears a suit or nothing or his birthday suit. I am Shinobi Shaw. I'm going to wear whatever I want. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> Shinobi is just such a weird dude. Yeah, which is interesting because our final story, I feel like Shinobi is actually not the weirdest uh, person in the story. Shinobi Shaw, the mature, reasonable adult of this story. <laughs> So uh, from 1995, Generation X annual number one. This is the only Generation X annual, correct? Um, No, they do. Well, no, it's absolutely not. Uh, They have a 96 annual, a 97 annual, a 98 annual, and a 99 annual. I know that because I know that one of the annuals is an adaptation of one of the Generation X novels. I believe that's the 90, either 96 or 97. I know that 98 is... A uh, 1998 is when all of the Marvel annuals were actually two books doing one annual, uh, like they had been doing on X Force and Cable. Uh, and this is Generation X versus Dracula. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. It's when it's the time that Chamber got his face restored because of Dracula, yes, as opposed to the time Chamber got his face restored due to Dracula's arch enemy, Apocalypse. <laughs> all right, so before we talk about the actual story which is, this is a weird story. Um, We should probably just mention, this is one of the most haphazard thrown together art teams of all time, right? Here, here are (laughs) the pencils are credited to Ashley Wood and Sean, Sean McManus. Okay. Ashley Wood, you may know as a comic book artist, done a lot of stuff. I know, know him best for doing work on the Metal Gear Solid comics. Oh, okay. So have you, Adam, I know you're not really a Metal Gear Solid guy, but are you familiar with the art? Yes. Of Metal Gear Solid? Mm -hmm. Like it's very smoky, painty, uh, like conceptual art more than anything else. What's the word? Impressionistic. Okay. That's not what Ashley Wood is doing here. I don't know what Ashley Wood's doing here. Well, uh, we also have Steve Lytle. Bill Sienkiewicz, uh, Vince Russell, Vince Russell. And who's the last anchor here? Uh, it's Gary Chandler. Yeah. So two colorists, two letterers, and you know, they have two writers, which tells me very, very clearly Scott Lobdell wasn't getting his scripts in for some reason. They brought in Loeb to tighten this up. They couldn't, I don't even want to say that pencilers were delayed in so much as they probably could not do the number of pages that were asked for in a given time. So they spread it out to get as many pages out. We're going to split pencil duties. We're going to have as many inkers as we can. We're going to split colorists. We're going to get this book out on time because they had to, because this book introduces Mondo. And I believe, well, Mondo is already introduced in like some one-off pages of generation X and he was in generation next. But like, I believe this does. He was not a growing concern. 
No, I believe this comes out after Mondo's introduction to the school in Generation X-10. Oh, like, okay. By the time it actually gets released, I'm double checking that right now. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it was, this is pretty clearly thrown together. Yeah, it really feels that way. So um, the girl that has been hanging out on a deserted island with Mondo um, turns out to be Emma Frost's sister, Cordelia. Her 17-year-old sister. Yes, who appears on the very first issue um, in a state of um, undress in lingerie, trying to pitch that she should join the Hellfire Club to Shinobi Shaw um, because she is in possession of a mutant that she has kidnapped, who turns out to be Mondo, that can take over the world. I don't know about that. It's Mondo. It's Mondo. Like, he's not conquering the world anytime soon. Um, Shinobi Shaw very responsibly is like half naked child. Please get out of my house before I go to jail. (laughs) Please listen, listen, (laughs) I'm not trying to cramp your style. If this is how you want to express yourself, Lord knows I Shinobi Shaw am for it. You are a child in lingerie. Please get out of my bathroom. (laughs) Yes. I don't Uh, think Shinobi Shaw is in a bathrobe in this one, but the vibes are there that like he's in when he's like, I'm uncomfortable with this. Yes. So hard cut back. Cordelia to... wants to become the next member of the hellfire club. Yeah. Uh, Shinobi not... Shaw's like, that's not how it works. No, it's not working. Your sister, your sister got brainwashed dish. I, I, I killed my dad. Like that's how I gave it. I got it because of force. What are you doing here? <laughs> so uh, he kicks Cordelia out and kidnaps Mondo with some hellfire goons that then, like one looks like a hellfire goon, but then the rest kind of look like like that flashback in X-Men when uh, Wolverine, Sabretooth and Maverick all work together. You're talking about Team X. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, so Cordelia has no choice but to go and knock on the door of the Massachusetts Academy. And the art style is switching back and forth and back and forth from Sienkiewicz inks to this very cleaner style. Panosian kicks in at a certain point and it's like visual whiplash because some of the pages really look like they're pulled straight out of something from Vertigo and others just look like straight up Marvel House style. It's like the Ashley Wood, Bill Sienkiewicz stuff. I get like I immediately say, okay, this is the tone you're going for. I see why Sienkiewicz is inking this all makes sense. Then you go to the most 1995 looking art I've ever seen. It's very strange. It's upsettingly strange because it there are pages where it just flips back and forth mm-hmm. between inkers. And you can't you can't have Bill Sienkiewicz inking some of your comic, but not all of it, and then <laughs> fill him in with just some random dudes. Yeah. You at least have to tell them, hey, Bill's doing some of these. So if you get some ink blotches on the page, it's okay. That's style now. <laughs> I have no doubt that no one saw each other's pages on this, and we're just trying desperately to get it in on time. So the X uh, Generation X kids go out to rescue Mondo and bring him back to be part of the team, which is very fun, I guess. Uh, it's very it's difficult fine. to tell where they are or what's actually happening. It's not the, the visual storytelling in this is poor. Yes, it is not the most coherent of fight scenes, um, but they are successful. And uh, Cordelia is still trying desperately to win over Emma. And, um, you know, Emma, in her very wise Emma way, is basically like, I ain't falling for your garbage. I know that you are a schemer. 
And, um, you know, thanks for coming. <laughs> Cordelia, my trash sister. Yes. My second worst sister. Please don't try and pull one over on me. Hey, none of the Frost siblings' ages make any sense. No. Because Christian is a grown man mm-hmm. by the time Emma is in school. Like, Christian's in his mid-20s at best when Emma's 15. Right. It's best not to try and make sense of it. He's he's got a 10-year gap. Then Emma has an older sister. Fine. You could see like they had a split. Then Cordelia is at minimum 10 years younger than Emma. Well, and this is also discounting that when Emma debuted versus when she's in Generation X, she's been D8. When Emma debuts as a 40-year-old woman. Right. Like, clearly. So, um, of course, despite the fact that Emma is on to Cordelia, Mondo still has no idea that she brought him uh, to where he ended up getting kidnapped and still thinks she's like his best bud. So Mondo's like, oh, listen, oh, you tried to kill It's fine. Listen, I'm just a chill dude. This is why the Mondo reveal of him being actually secretly evil is dumb and I don't like it. Yeah, because he just seems like a chill kind of pal. It's why Zornito works when it's Magneto because it's like, oh, wait, actually, this guy wasn't this cool chill guy that we all made friends with. <laughs> this is just saying, no, that cool chill guy was lying to you the whole time and not being Magneto. I don't believe that you thought this plot out. Scott Lobdell. I was just going to say, think you did. Very I good. don't think that any of the Scott Lobdell quote unquote reveals uh, make much sense when it comes to generation X. So can uh, you imagine Scott Lobdell not fully thinking through his comic books? Can't even imagine. Um, who, we, we do get an interesting, how did they let this man have, the biggest franchise for so long <laughs> convenience i don't know the actually the, yes it was because he was there yeah which is weird they could have hired literally anyone who was also there and they chose scott lobdell yeah so there is an interesting backup story um that involves skin finding uh m's diary and yeah it's jeff pages. matsuda on art. Yeah, the pages of this diary look like a child wrote the entries with a crayon and they look like a coloring book, which, you know, is a little hint to where that character is going to go. Um, um sort of. Yes, in retrospect, at the time, it was just Scott Lobdell doesn't understand what autism is. It mm, and that's not a great look. It's bad. I don't even want I don't even want to sugarcoat it. It's bad. You could have looked at I understand that like autism advocacy has gone a long way from the mid 90s to have autistic people actually talking about, hey, this is this is what this is for me and how it impacts my life and how you can actually like talk about and treat it versus just a very clinical outside approach. But I got to imagine Scott Lobdell could have done better than he does here. Uh, yeah, it would it would be nice. Anyway, um, it, it honestly the only time that it being two babies in a trench coat does work better, except for they still made one of the babes babies autistic. Yeah. So this is not. Good. There's a lot here. This is not good. Uh, you know, especially just from the art perspective, it's a complete mess. So I, I'm willing to say I think we're probably at least in the 600s here, right? This is worse than the trial of Juggernaut at 600. Yeah. This is this is a comic that fails. On a true technical level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's worse than the Trial of Juggernaut. Yeah, at 642, um, we have Night of Terror, which similarly Night of, some, Night some of not Terror great art issues. Um, 
661 is Marvel Mangaverse X-Men. <laughs> yep. Another story that I would say technically fails. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would go lower than that, honestly. Um, yeah, me too. That's the problem. This is worse. Um, is this better or worse than the Soul Sword trilogy, which also advertises some Sienkiewicz and pulls the rug out on us? The worst thing you could do to me and Adam is say Bill Sienkiewicz is going to draw this one <laughs> and then he's not. Yeah. Yeah. We don't even need him draw. We just need those inks. No. It's worse than 683 X Women, which is a technically proficient comic. Mm, good point. It's the opposite. That It's a technically fantastic is this as just bad, also terrible is this as bad as uh 691 the legion miniseries that we are not a fan of yeah it's around there because okay this probably isn't as bad as 696 pharaoh's legacy from marvel comics presents no the Havoc story no and i i i know you love the x-men the end but i don't think this is as bad as the first part of x-men the end I feel the same way about X-Men The End as I feel about X-Men 2099 is that I am enthralled by it and I'm interested in it. In X-Men The End, X-Men The End, I'm enthralled with a bad comic. 2099, I'm enthralled with a mediocre comic. There's a difference. Yeah. Um, I would. Here's what I would say. Let's put it below The End, above Young X-Men number seven at 395 and below Phoenix End Song at 394. So this will be... A, yeah, 600. Yeah, this will be our new 695. Okay, that's a great place for it. So, Shinobi Shaw, interesting, not interesting, always in a bathtub. Uh, Here's the thing the about bath, Shinobi Shaw. We barely talked about him on his episode. That's <laughs> true. That's true. He doesn't just, this is, he doesn't have much going on, man. Folks, this is just, we already covered the Marauders. That's the problem. We covered, Jerry Duggan. Yeah. And here's the thing. Jerry Duggan even said, oh, shoot, I got to cut something. Well, the Shinobi subplot's out of here. Yeah. Yep, it's true. It's true. So, it's gone. Uh, well, you know that that was an episode we did. We did our Shaw Adam. That absolutely, positively was the 289th episode of our podcast. <laughs> no one can actually. No people could argue otherwise about our numbering. Though I feel like we've kept it very consistent. I don't think we've done much in terms of num- unnumbered or out of sequence episodes. No. Regardless, what do you got going on, Adam? Uh, what folks, do you got plug? Folks can always follow me on Instagram at adam.rec. And uh, Zach, what do we got going on next week? Next week, we are talking about, you know, for the life of me. Oh, we're talking about Morph. Morph from uh, Age of Apocalypse. This one's for you, Morph. No, we're not talking <laughs> about that Morph. We're talking about a different Morph. We're talking about the Bendisera Morph. Nice. All right. Hey, folks, if you want a podcast where we're going to do an episode about Shinobi Shaw, where we don't really talk about Shinobi Shaw, and then follow it up with an episode about Bendis Era Morph, where I do believe we will talk about Bendis Era Morph significantly more than Shinobi Shaw. This is the podcast for you, baby. This is <laughs> the one. You found your home. because we're sitting there like, Adam, Adam grew up with Shinobi Shaw, and he's got nothing for him. It's true. I did not grow up with Shinobi Shaw. I didn't grow up with Morph, but I feel a kinship to Benjamin Deeds. And we will get into that next episode. But until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Yeah.